Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I'm here with Father Tim Grumbach, the pastor chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're actually broadcasting from Vox Vitae, a Catholic pro-life leadership program for emerging leaders, high school, heading into college age, being equipped and formed to live out their Catholic faith, understand their Catholic faith, preach it to uphold the values, especially on the dignity of human life, promoting promoting the pro-life message, taking that to the public square, uh, diving into the LGBTQ topics, helping them to know how to articulate and respond to this and stand firm and God being created male and female. It's a really exciting week. We're here at St. Edward's Retreat Center in Southern California in Wrightwood, right near the, or right where the wildfires recently ravaged this area of Southern California. Father Tim, you have been traveling all over the country over the last month since school has been out, working with high schoolers and college youth. We'll have to touch on that a little bit later on, but right now you're here at Vox Vitae, and I find it fitting that we're having a conversation today about a decrease in people believing in God, an increase in atheism. We're going to talk about redeeming time, multitasking, versus having a faith-filled perspective that leads us to a little bit of virtue and temperance and self-control. We'll also continuing slowly working toward the end of our series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about patience. I don't know about you, but patience is something I could certainly work on. Again, joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School. It's so good to be here in person with you, Timory. Um, it's no surprise for me to be at a retreat center or somewhere other than home to record, but that uh, it's different for you. And so now we're in person, and it's it's been a, a great day already with the teens here and uh, looking forward to a, a beautiful and full week where their hearts are transformed so that they can go out and transform the world. In moments like these are inspiring. You've been traveling cross-country. You see the youth who are dedicating their lives to various uh, organizations such as Focus Ministry or Net Ministry, where they're becoming missionaries. You know, instead of going to college or right after college, you know, taking that time off to do this. And then you see high schoolers and they care about their faith. They're on fire for their faith. And that that's the good that we need to see in here in the midst of some alarming news. Uh, a recent Gallup poll that just came out last week found that 81% of Americans believe in God. This is actually a drop 
drop from the last time this poll was taken in 2017, where we saw a 6% drop from 87% of Americans believing in God. And we're dropping down to what would that be? Oh, basically, one out of five Americans don't believe in God today. Yeah, and you got to consider also that it's, you know, people can say they believe in God, but not go to church. And so we know that our numbers of people coming back to church, especially after uh, the lockdowns, is considerably less than before. And so, you know, we're not just trying to sound an alarm here, but also trying to understand, you know, what do people mean when they say, oh, yeah, I believe in God or I don't believe in God? You know, the question can come up. Uh, they might have this image of God that I would say, I don't believe in that God either. And so let's talk a little bit more about the, the actual, the true, the living God. So it's it's a frightening thing to see that number keep going down steadily. But again, there is hope, right? I you know, I was in Georgia with Life Teen and then in Phoenix with Life Teen and Focus is up here with us in Wrightwood at this retreat center. And I see a lot of young people who, who believe in God, who love the church and want other people to know about it. And so maybe I'm living in a bubble as I travel around and I'm seeing the people who believe in God and who are giving their lives over to that. But it's still something for us to really be aware of is that not only are the church numbers going down, but the number of people who believe in, who say they believe in God. It, I think for some people, they could listen to this and it be overwhelming and it'd be a moment of despair. But I think when we have this information, I think the better question to ask is, what are we going to do about this? And I think it starts with part of what you just said is the God that people don't believe in is a God that you don't believe in either. And it's interesting because I remember, was it Venerable Fulton Sheen who said that there are a lot of people who don't like Catholics, but that's because they haven't really met a real Catholic? Yeah, it was something like uh, there are so many people who, who hate what they think is the church, but they don't really hate the church because they don't really know the church. And the same argument could be made for God. Himself. It was interesting. We're doing a Q&A with the young people here. And one of the questions that came up was, shouldn't, and this was from a high schooler, shouldn't someone who's naturally falling away from their faith and distancing themselves from God be able to choose on their own and have this conversion back to God rather than being forced by their parents to go to church? And I think it's so interesting because they are confusing their dislike for their parents making them go to church with what they think or don't think about God. And those are really two separate things. Living under your parents' roof, you need to follow their rules. And one of those rules might be you go to church. That's our responsibility as Catholic parents, in part, is to raise people in the faith. Uh, but yeah, I think that that dislike for this is something my parents making me do is a confusion for who they think God is. And I've already had some good conversations uh, today and over the last few weeks with young people who you know are, are kind of afraid they're losing their faith because they they don't believe the same way that their parents do. And I said that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is your parents gifted you the faith? But there is a point where we all have to grow up, and some of us walk away from the faith that our parents gave us a little bit uh, in order to find that faith purified and personal. And so it's, you know, if you only have your parents' faith, 
as they handed it down to you for the rest of your life, then maybe you haven't grown in your faith. And so just trying to reassure our younger generations that, you know, if you feel like you're, you're distancing a little bit from what your parents gave to you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if it's something you're doing out of spite, uh, it, it has to be a matter of maturation, of growing in your faith and making your faith your own. And so that's another really exciting thing about seeing this group of young people. Yeah. And again, that comes back to rejecting what your parents have handed down about God, what you think your parents think about God and what you think about God. Those are totally separate things. And in a certain respect, it's a form of teenage, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, when teens rebel, right? Teenage. I like to use the word tension because, uh, again, this comes up a lot with young people, especially at school, is there's so much tension between them and their parents. I said, that's a very natural thing. When you consider how beautifully and wonderfully we are made, like Psalm 139 says, you know, I've formed you in the womb, you're beautifully and wonderfully made, and that we, we come out into this world uh, literally unable to care for ourselves. And so our whole identity as babies is wrapped up in how our parents care for us or don't care for us. And so as we grow up, we realize we have our own identity as we can begin to care for ourselves. And it becomes this natural tension between parent and child. It doesn't mean it's a good thing, but it means it's a very natural thing. And God can work with that. And so I I almost see God as having created us as babies who can't care for themselves. So our identity is wrapped up in family. But then also we have the opportunity as we grow up and as we mature in our most formative years to have to learn how to forgive, have to learn how to say sorry, to let that tension be a creative force in being a family and then you know learning from that when we begin to have our own families it's a beautiful dynamic process that god has built into our very nature in order to make us a forgiving and uh, and apologizing when we need to kind of people and you get to see that a lot in the young people who are face to face with that tension that like teenage angst uh, in their own home that's Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the diocese, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, when we're talking about the family in relation to this recent Gallup poll showing that only 81% of Americans, that's four in five, believe in God, this is a drop from what was essentially almost 90%. Uh, we saw 6% drop since 2017. It brings us back to also this understanding that although there's that teenage rebellion in the midst of the crisis sometimes of being feeling forced to go to church, there's also that fundamental understanding that often what we think about God is what we learn uh, and how we're loved from our parents. It's a reminder of how important marriage, intact marriages, uh, parents really being present during the upbringing of their children. And as controversial as it may be, you know, still focusing on the idea of mom being home as much as possible to help give those fundamental elements of human development and faith development that occur naturally through the uh, knowledge of unconditional love from a child just being present especially in those first few years for a ton of time with their parents they, they that's how they learn to be affirmed in unconditional love they get a glimpse of god through those familial relationships with their mother and father yeah i'm so glad that you bring that up because i've been thinking about that a lot as the way that a person may have a very difficult time understanding god as father if they've not had a good relationship with their own dads um 
and also, and we talked about this, uh, you know, the la- one of the last times that we were chatting about the the Doctor Strange movie that came out and the images of motherhood and fatherhood, and when somebody is missing a father who can you know teach them how to have you know how to be aggressive in a healthy way, how to control the power that they do have, that when when that is missing, you know, uh, when either a mother or a father is missing, and in the context of that movie, the character had two moms, and so there was not going to be obviously they don't. Uh, hold to the the uh, the reality of the true and living God who who has given Himself to us uh, as a Father, but that uh, if that were true in that cinematic universe, then you would have a character who does not get to see either a fatherly uh, image of God, or um, or if it were two fathers, would not have a motherly image of God, and so mother and father uh, co-heirs to the promises of life. Uh, as St. Peter says in his letter, his first letter, is that uh, the father and the mother both image the love of God. And so you know, there are some young people growing up that don't have a father or don't have a mother. And it doesn't mean that they can't be loved and they can't experience God's love, of course. Uh, but to uh, be deprived of that image because of a cultural situation or uh, because of uh, some difficult situation in their family, that's, uh, that's not fair to them. Um, but it is something that God will work with. Um, but we just, you know, we want to uplift the the beauty of the family and the way that mother and father, both in their own ways, image the love of God. And so when people don't have that image of the love of God, you know, when they grow up, it's going to be harder for them to say, yeah, I believe in God because they, they're missing something from the image of the true and living God. One of the things that comes up, Father Tim, when looking at this poll and the decrease in the number of people who believe in God today is what can I do? Or what did I do as a parent that led to the situation within my own family? Or maybe a reason as to why I rebelled. And I think there are a few perspectives we need to have. One, if you don't know your faith well enough to teach it to your kids, sometimes they're going to have a hard time with your answers that you give. Or that maybe you make up or that you just don't answer and say, well, just have faith. You know, I have a lot of friends whose parents, you know, grew up generationally Catholic and culturally Catholic and they couldn't answer questions. They say, well, just believe, you know, that's that's getting into theology. I'm not a theologian. You know, they quickly talk and kind of try to dismiss it. But what I'm getting at is that we all, all of us, adults, children, everyone need to be able to ask questions. We need to be able to have a little doubt to have some fear and to be able to work through these things. And so this is why it's so important that we encourage questions, that we ourselves ask questions and don't just say, I love Jesus and that's it. That's a great thing, but that's like saying you love your spouse but don't want to know anything about them or try to continue to learn about them, why they had a good day, why they had a bad day, why they're not eating for a full day because maybe they're sick. I mean, that's an act of love. And so we should give the same amount of love to God and even more so than that than a spouse should show to their other spouse. And, and that's interesting that you bring up you know, the question that's on every parent's heart is when their child seems to walk away from the faith is, did I do something wrong? And so I was just thinking about St. Monica. You know, She's a, a patroness, a mother of mine. I grew up at a parish of St. Monica's. I've done a lot of work over the last couple of years at a school, another school of St. Monica's. And uh, a little shout out to uh, St. Monica's in Duluth, 
Georgia. I got to hang out with them at Life Teen Camp. And so I've been thinking a lot about St. Monica and you know, how many questions must have been in her own heart when Augustine had just wandered away so far. I was like, did I do something wrong? And yet she stayed faithful in her prayer, knowing that God was going to bring him back. And, you know, the the beautiful prayers of the church is that it was, you know, God saw her tears and, and made them fruitful and, and nourished the faith of St. Augustine through them. So if we have a, a younger generation that is turning away from God and saying they don't believe in God, then let's ask St. Monica to intercede for us. Let's ask St. Augustine to intercede for us and to know that you know, they are not lost completely. Uh, they, may, they may be wandering, but you know, Jesus was kind of popular for going to look for the lost, is kind of popular for going to look for the lost. <laughs> <laughs> And another thought that I had, and I've seen this trend, especially among millennials, when they have children, some of them will say, you know, what? I'm not going to raise my child with religion. I may or may not baptize them, or maybe I'll just baptize them because while I love God and I knew God, I want them to be able to choose him themselves, himself or herself. And so you know, not, they don't really expose them to religion, but they aren't opposed to any exposure to religion. And somehow they think their kid actually is going to find God because ultimately that's what they want. And by not exposing their child to God, they're trying to make it so that they the child completely chooses God on their own. And, and that is so unscriptural and, and so misses the whole point of the covenants that God founded with his people is that from the very beginning of the covenants, of, especially of circumcision, is that you know this child is brought into this uh, this covenant in a painful way uh, without their consent. You know, maybe I shouldn't use that language because, you know, but it, literally they, they do not choose to enter into the covenant. They are gifted to the covenant. They are brought into the covenant. and Through the choice of their parent passing on the faith. Right. And so if, you know, with these, you know, this strange generation of, oh, I want my parent, my child to choose for themselves. Otherwise, uh, you know, I'm not going to force their, the faith on them. Like, well, do you not understand the gift that faith is and that you're not forcing anything on them? You're gifting them the most valuable thing that they can have, and they may turn away from it. That's the risk of love that God himself has entered into through covenant. But it's not a, you know, it's, it's just a strange uh, direction that people go to say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to teach my child pretty much everything else about being alive except the most important thing. That profound. A final thought I have, and I'd like to hear your thoughts in response to this decrease in the number of people believing in God, really just one out of five do not believe in God today, a massive drop since the last poll in 2017, we need to be prepared as people of faith to one, live out our faith to the point where someone notices something attractive about us. What is it that makes that person dick? Why is that person so faithful, so happy, so joyful? Why is their marriage, of course, not perfect, but functioning well? Why are they able to work through their challenges? Why is it that their child has more respect for them? You know, why? what's different about that individual? Why are they able to have a hope or joy in the midst of an infertility crisis or, you know, being single longer than they want? And I think of the words of St. Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. We should always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within us. And, you know, that gets me thinking about one of our seminary professors when asked who her favorite saint was. She said, 
St. Augustine because you read his writings. He's more alive than most people are today. And so you meet the saints who believe in God that it actually has transformed their lives. And you say, there is something different about them. They're more alive than I am. And I want to be like that. That's Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We'll be right back. We'll unpack the virtue of patience, which actually has a lot to do with waiting for our loved ones to come to the faith or return to the faith. We'll also talk about redeeming our time and those little moments we have throughout the day. Do you multitask? How can you bring an element of faith and an opportunity to growth into your life? This hour is sponsored by Solidarity HealthShare, the first to offer comprehensive sharing for prescription medications. Check now to see how much you can save. Go to catholichealthshare.com. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're broadcasting today from the Vox Vitae Catholic Pro-Life Leadership Training Program for high school students and emerging leaders here, diving into pro-life topics, a lot of the controversial topics morally, sexually of our time, but especially building them up in their faith. It's so neat. Every single day, these kids have the opportunity to go to confession, to go to daily mass, to uh, go to adoration together, pray the rosary, and they're there. They're into it. They're happy to be there. They're tired. It's a long day. They're learning about Christ all day and about difficult intellectual concepts and about morality and faith and why their lives matter, why we need to talk about pornography, all of these topics. And Father Tim, it is very interesting as we're unpacking this here with our young people because one of the things that I see them ready to do is to keep going. Okay, yes, what more can I do? And I think that's part of the vigor of young people is they're willing to keep going. Like even though they're tired, even though they haven't gotten enough sleep. It is easy to complain, but when you have your peers who are willing to do this, they are prepared to grow. And this makes me think of a recent article that I read called Redeeming the Time. It's called Redeeming the Time the Christian Way. It was written by Michael Papaluk on thecatholicthing.org. We'll include a link in the podcast notes. But it's this whole idea of looking at how St. Paul has been interpreted when discussing redeeming time in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 4. And this has always been written in relation essentially to the virtue of chastity. And people often reduce chastity just to having to do with sexuality. But it's really chastity, when we have that virtue of chastity, it's a virtue that helps us with all the other virtues, self-control, temperance, moderation. And I want to talk about this idea, though, of redeeming those simple moments in our day that help to build up virtue for us and teach us a little bit of mortification. Can you give us an example of what St. Paul is talking about and what this article is discussing in the redeeming time, the Christian way, and those simple moments? I love that you bring up that chastity does have something to do with this in the sense that sometimes we hear the word chastity and we think it's this like no to human sexuality when it's quite the opposite where it's, you know, every no that is said is at 
the service of a greater yes. And the Catechism speaks of chastity as the school of self-gift. And so we're looking at this redemption of time and how we use what we call maybe you know empty time or free time. Uh, rather than filling it up with productivity, do we use it as a time of silence or even as a sacrifice? So we say no to being productive at the service of a greater yes. And so I think that'd be a good tie to chastity, a good tie to the school of self-gift. And so this redemption of time, I loved the, the little example that was given in the article was that you know, you're sitting in your car and you're stuck in traffic and you could say, okay, well, I could pull out my phone and start working on some emails or, or whatever it is to do it safely because we're stuck here in traffic. Or you could just say, I'm going to turn off the music and just let God dwell in this space with me right now. Uh, that it can become a very prayerful space. You know, being in Los Angeles, it was, it was so funny. I got stuck in I get stuck in traffic driving out of Atlanta airport. I get stuck in traffic driving out of uh, Chicago's airport. I, everywhere I go, I get stuck in traffic, and the people who are driving me are like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." I'm like, "I'm from Los Angeles. I get this." You know, and but I, I have a lot of practice in getting stuck in traffic and letting my car become a chapel. And so I, I think you know more Catholics need to be on the road. Don't go onto the road just for this. But if you're on the road, be in your car and let it become this prayer space where you're not trying to be productive, but you are trying to be faithful. Right? That's one of the big things. Like Mother Teresa would always say that is you know God didn't call me to be productive or successful or efficient. He or yeah, he called me to be faithful. And you know these simplest little ways of love in silence, making a sacrifice of our productivity is an incredible way to redeem our time. And it's interesting in the article too, because it talks about this example you just gave of being stuck in traffic and instead of checking your email, checking social media or whatever it might be of denying the idea of denying yourself those things that yes, could be productive, uh, but also it's a moment of, okay, no, I'm going to have the self-control not to do it. And I'll just argue and remind us that yes, even the self-control, we really shouldn't be doing those things on the road, whether we're stopped or not. Uh, But coming back to this idea of even if you aren't getting to that place of prayer, even if you're just sitting there in the silence, that was a denial and that was one tiny opportunity for self-mortification and to have a moment of growth of saying, I'm going to deny myself in this really small way of maybe not turning on the radio, of not checking my email, of not going on social media. And I think that the challenge is, is that we've lost that capacity to have those moments of pause because we're always so quick to jump to the next thing, to be productive, that we both have no moments of pause, but then also no opportunities, as you're saying, to suddenly be in the car and be like, actually, this is a great time to pray. I say I don't have time to pray. Well, here I am for half an hour stuck in traffic. Yeah, I'm just laughing right now thinking about how you know the weirdest person in our society right now is somebody who's sitting at a Starbucks and just drinking their coffee. <laughs> right. Okay, that is so true. <laughs> It's like, did you come here just to drink your coffee? Is that it? You know, um, instead of having your computer out and being productive and getting your work done, you know, it's a good enough place as any to to be productive. Uh, but we need to carve out those little spaces. You know, I, I'm thinking specifically, especially about a very uh, Carmelite spirituality of. Uh, you know, letting God purify your love from within by dwelling within you. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I would even go back to St. Catherine of Siena, a Dominican who was actually quite Carmelite in her spirituality as well, uh, is that you know she would develop this cell within herself where she could live with God. You know, if she so if she was busy somewhere, or even when she was all by herself, she could go within herself and spend time with God within herself. And the Carmelites would pick this up, especially you know, some of my new favorites, like uh, Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity, Saint Teresa of the Andes, are always speaking about how they have it heaven within them because Jesus, the Holy Trinity, dwells within them, and that no matter where they can go, they can, in a certain sense, take God with them because you know nobody else may be thinking about God or praising God uh, while walking through the busy streets. But if we are, then God's being glorified in places where he may not normally be glorified. And I love that about this idea of redeeming our our quiet time instead of trying to fill it up. Because you know that's one of the devil's greatest weapons against us is to get us to the end of the day having been so busy that we don't have time to pray. So it's, you know, I, I, I love this. This has been one of the most fruitful things in my own prayer life over the last few months is developing this inner cell, this inner chapel, where even if I'm stuck in my car in traffic, I can be with God and God can dwell with me because that's where he wants to dwell. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are where God wants to dwell uh, in the world. And especially having just celebrated Corpus Christi, you know, I still, it was so weird. I celebrated Mass by myself in my hotel room as I was getting ready to spend all day traveling on a Sunday of Corpus Christi. Um, but then I, and you know, missing out on any kind of parish celebration of, of a Eucharistic procession. But I, I just had this thought of like, you know, it wasn't ideal, but I, re- I, I received the Lord in Holy Communion, having offered the most holy sacrifice of the mass. Then I flew across the country was that not a Eucharistic procession? <laughs> as long as I let the Lord live within me, as you know, physically He wants to live within me, spiritually He wants to live within me. So if we can use the best way to redeem that time is to let the, let the Lord dwell within the cell or the chapel of our heart. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was in high school that would often be said uh, to parent, people who were dating. My mom would say to other, "You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember, as you go on a date." <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been to prom, you know, leave enough room for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, (laughs) but the Holy Spirit is within, you know, not between. (laughs) He is the one who helps us in those moments of virtue. Father Tim, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Wright here on Relevant Radio. Father Tim Grumbach's joining me from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He's a chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School. Father Tim, you've been travel. You've worked all year with high school students. This is your second year now. Is it your second year? Heading into my second year. Heading into your second year working with high school students at the high school. You've already spent the last month working with college age and high school youth. What is in your experience over the last year, the biggest obstacle you're seeing young people have with regard to embracing God, who he is, and living out and choosing that faith? Well, I think the first thing is how much noise there is. Uh, we, we give them time during summer camp and retreat to set aside their phones, and it's really difficult for them at first. But then they get to the end of the week, and you know they're excited to get their phones back. But often what we hear said is that their favorite part was that they didn't have their phones with them. You know, if, you know, if that's not, doesn't sound like addiction, I don't know what does, you know, maybe not in a, a clinical sense, but, you know, they, they know that it's not 
good for them that they're, they feel freer without it. Uh, and so we give them that space, uh, but that they have something like that in their lives where there's so much distraction, so much noise that they don't have time for that silence. And they don't really get a chance to meet God in that silent cell or silent chapel within their own hearts. Uh, but then along with that, I would also say is that their experience with friendship gets in the way of their trusting the church's teachings. What I mean by that is friendship, I think, is the most important thing there is to this young generation. I think to every young generation. Uh, and they see their friends who might be outside of the church who are entering into the LGBT community, who are, who are living that kind of lifestyle. Uh, and uh, or, or they may have families that are, are hurting, you know, the divorced parents, and, and they have all this experience, and they say, you know, these are the people that I love, and without really knowing church's teaching, they may say, well, the church is wrong because I see the way that, you know, this is a good person. Uh, my friend is a good person. I love my friend more than I love the church's teaching. And so, you know, it's a strange thing to call it an obstacle, but I think it's a really important thing for us to consider when uh, hearing and listening to the youth and all at the service of teaching them uh, the the wealth and the riches of the of the church's teaching is that first we have to understand that they dearly love their friends and often when they go against the church's teaching it's because they dearly love their friends who are living outside of the church teaching that's a very profound insight that we are going to have to unpack really soon maybe even later this week as we're together because what you just said i think hits the nail on the head of a crisis that it's interesting because this gen z it's true the most important thing to them is friendship to the point of rejecting their family, to the point of rejecting God, to be accepted and loved. And I think that there's a lot that could be said as to how we could unpack that more. But I think that the lesson, the takeaway right now in this moment is to say, ah, okay, maybe you're a parent or maybe you're a millennial or a Gen Z and you're hearing this, you're recognizing I'm compromising. And maybe you realize that your compromise on what is truth and what is handed down by the Catholic Church, instituted by Jesus Christ, might just possibly be harming your friend and not your friendship by not standing up for them. And that's what friendship is, is to love the other as another self. Yeah, we were talking about that today is the definition of love is to will the good of the other. And, uh, you know, we didn't say it, but we meant it was uh, to will the good of the other as other uh, because some friendships are about what I get out of it. Uh, but we want to lead our youth into a, a, a real deep friendship in which it's not about what I can get out of it, but what I can give. And I think once we lead our young people into those kinds of friendships, they'll see the church's teaching again, bringing it back to chastity is, you know, the school of self gift. And then they'll find the deepest, truest friendships where they can find their identity as sons and daughters of God together. We've been talking about the opportunity for growing in our faith and self-denial mortification, but we've also talked about the crisis of faith in society today. We're going to come back talking about patience that I think is most important, whether it be with ourselves or with others in the current culture we live in. I'll be right back here on Trending with Timory with Father Tim Grumbach. Today's show is sponsored by Colby Academy. With more than 40 years of experience in Catholic home education, Colby Academy offers a blend of classical Catholic curriculum 
and the latest education technology. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Father Tim Grumbach's here with me. We're at Vox Vitae Catholic for Life Leadership Training Program. We are here with 100 youth today. So proud of and encouraged by their faith and their boldness, their courage, and the questions they're asking. We're at the retreat center here in Wrightwood that was recently touched by the fire, St. Edward's Retreat Center in Southern California in St. Edward's. It's so nice to be back in beautiful California weather. Can I just say that for a moment? Father Tim, we're continuing our series on the virtues of patience. Patience is so necessary in our culture today, whether it's with ourselves, with what's happening in the world, or with others. Uh, it, I don't think is second nature for us. I think it goes against our nature in many respects, especially the 21st century culture of immediacy. We were talking about multitasking earlier, uh, this culture of always expecting an answer quickly, of immediate instant gratification. You know, I, I get annoyed when my Amazon package takes more than two days to arrive to me or when it's late, which has been late quite often recently with soaring gas prices and uh, needs for people uh, to be staffing various places. But what is patience? I find it fascinating because when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about patience, uh, there's a, a part where he talks about how patience in part helps to preserve our peace of mind in the face of various dangers and trials. So in sense, helping to keep us in good spirits. It in many ways reminds me of the virtue of joy, which is one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, as is peace, which we're discussing here in this series that we're doing on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because joy and peace, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, are so important in our Christian journey. And I think that patience falls right in line there with that peace of mind and that union with God. Yeah, and in order to better define patience, I I would also go to the negative of it is, yeah, impatience. Saint Catherine of Siena, I think it is defined. In, in, well, said that impatience is one of the greatest signs of disobedience. Yeah, yeah, is, is that uh, when you know when you are impatient with the one to whom you should be obedient, you're going to make your own decisions when you think they're taking too long, and it, and it becomes a sign of distrust. And and so so what can that tell us about? actual patience is that it is a sign of obedience and it is a sign of trust that God has us where you know where he wants us to be or he's at least allowing it and it becomes this tremendous act of entrusting ourselves to God and so I would say that that, that is part of the definition of patience is it's an act of trust and an act of obedience okay you just gave me a good nudge with what you said because as a lay person who is not called to obedience to a bishop or superior in the same way you are right in a different way i pause down and go well who where is my level of obedience called to that's within the context of marriage you may hate it and that's a whole other topic but part of christian marriage is that mutual submission and particularly even more so that level of obedience um and deferment to the husband within marriage that's the proper order of marriage that's the ideal again not all of us are living it not all of us necessarily have that type of relationship but that's the ideal that the church puts before us and you just kind of jabbed me in the side because i realized 
I can really struggle with impatience toward my husband. But isn't that ironic? Because in the proper order of marriage and family, there's meant to be that level of obedience in those relationships, of trust, of deferment. And so it's just one glimpse of how, wow, patience is a really big deal when it comes to our state in life and our vocation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, patience lived out is, you know, what does it look like? And you know, it's always so nice to talk about it. You know, patience is a lot nicer to talk about than to actually live out. Uh, but you do have that saying that, you know, when you ask for patience, God doesn't give you patience. He gives you opportunities in which to be patient. And I actually, I hate that saying, if if I could be honest, because it, it gives you this image of a God who's just like, he spins the, the top and then walks away and lets it spin out. It's like, good luck. You know, here's an opportunity to be patient. But, uh, you know, if we believe in the God we say we believe in is that, yeah, he'll give us opportunities that to grow in which it may be difficult, but he doesn't leave us stranded. You know, sometimes there are people in our lives that it is impossible to be patient with on our own efforts, right? Like there's people in our lives that it's impossible to forgive them by our own efforts. And so I like to tell people, and you know, I have maybe mainly because I have to tell myself is that it has to be God being patient in me in order to be patient with those people say okay god i'm going to try to be patient with this person because you are i'm going to try to love and forgive this person because that's what you're doing for them and that's what you desire for them because i just cannot work myself up to feel uh feel like i want to forgive or love or be patient with this person and so when we speak of patience in the christian sense it has to be in a certain way god being patient through us infusing his patient into us his patience into us Praise the Lord that we have our faith in this perspective because as you said, this is where my defect enters in and God's grace enters in. This is why it's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit that is patience. Uh, and I think when we when I think about some of the virtues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we're walking through, on one level, yes, we can work on this on a very human, practical way. But on the other level, what we're saying is that we need God. We need to pray. We need to ask for this. But we need to be predisposed. We need to have a foundation by practicing in simple ways to be prepared to have divine intervention, bringing about divine love in the way we interact. There's an article, Father Tim, that I recently read. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim. We're here on Relevant Radio. That's Father Tim Grumbach. It was an article titled, Impatience is Natural, but Patience Makes Us Happy. It was written by a Christian therapist known as the Happy Therapist, Mindy Fuchs. And she talks about some of the benefits of being patient. And she says, if you want to be happier and healthier, practice patience. Here are the benefits. She says, first, we make better decisions. When we are patient, we take more time to see the big picture, and that gives us more information to make better decisions. I think that in part what she's talking about here is not just to have this bird's eye view of the situation to pull back rather than being in the nitty gritty and looking for an immediate answer or immediate um, item or desire to be met but to have that providential perspective as well. Mm. Yeah, like going up onto the mountain with Jesus as he, you know, that's where he he chose his disciples to be apostles. That's where he took uh, the three up to the uh, transfiguration to have this new perspective. And so patience is, you know, the space that we give to have a different perspective on a situation. 
And I love that, that it's uh, impatience is natural. And I would say then patience is supernatural. And to tie this all together, you know, for those who don't believe in God, you know, where do you get your motivation to be patient with the people you find it most difficult to love? Uh, and uh, and then um, it, uh, it's something <clears throat> that, that pretty much has to be infused into us. <clears throat> and so it's a, a beautiful gift that uh, we cannot give to ourselves sometimes. One of the things that the happy therapist says is that when we are patient, because she says when we're patient, we're happier, it reduces stress. She says making ourselves stop and think through a situation slows us down so we don't feel rushed or forced. I think that that's very profound to say because so often this culture of immediacy and productivity pressures i know i feel the pressure to do something now you know maybe there's an email you received that was a little controversial or a text message and you feel like you've got to respond to it now and you maybe have that little bit of adrenaline running and you're a little worked up by the situation and you might not have as much reason in the situation you might be more stressed and by stepping away i've had a few times recently where i've stepped away from something for you know six eight hours and then responded later and all of a sudden I went, oh there was some clarity here i was patient not to just jump in and respond patient to not worry so much about what the other person thought or how quickly they received an answer from me and the situations were completely diffused. Yeah, and, and it's built into our entertainment as well, right? Our, you said it, this, this expectation of immediacy, and I think about this a lot, <clears throat> was, you know, uh, like the latest season of Stranger Things that came out on Netflix just this last month. They, they released the first seven episodes, and episodes eight and nine are coming out in like a week and a half from now or something like that. And so they released all these seven episodes at the same time. So if somebody wanted, they could watch like it's it, it amounted to like seven or eight hours of of episodes all at once, but they have to wait for the last two episodes. And people were like angry about this. And I've thought about it a lot is that you know when when someone like Netflix releases all these episodes all at once, you know, with the idea like you're supposed to binge this, <clears throat> and I hate that idea because it it feeds into our impatience. So that when they save the last couple episodes for you know a few weeks later, people get angry because of that impatience. Like oh, I want to know what happened. I'm like, that means it's a good story. You should appreciate that you have this cliffhanger and that you have to wait. You know, and you know, and in that way they're kind of building up that patience in us you know disney plus has nailed it over the last you know couple of years is they're releasing episodes weekly for for their biggest shows you know we got we got this the season finale for obi-wan kenobi coming up uh very shortly and you know people are you know on the edge of their seats every week because they know you know just like tv used to do it you have to wait a week before you get to see how the cliffhanger story is resolved and so you know who knew that uh, we would have these two ends of the spectrum of you know the 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 impatience of binge watching tv uh, and the the expectation of a story well told where you have to wait and you have to be patient for the rest of the story to be told it actually reminds me of one of the points that the happy therapist makes in this article about patience making us happier is that it provides anticipation anticipatory pleasure and that's what you were just talking about by anticipating something that we delight in and through the use of the virtue the fruit of the holy spirit of patience we can actually enjoy that thing more a great example is uh, people actually often enjoy the time building up to their vacation 
just as much as a vacation itself because they look at that good they look at that excitement and they patiently wait for it with joy and delight and it makes me think about you know what would happen if people read today read books i think of you know book series that i've read where you sometimes finish a book and you're on volume one or volume two in a multi-part series and you have to wait a year or two years for the next book to be released that anticipation is so much fun and sometimes right before that later book is released you read the first one or two again in anticipation building up that excitement that's patience but also, it's, maybe it's a sign of the times how little people are reading today for the pure delight of it. And it helps to build, again, tying it all together, it helps us to build that space where we could either be productive and try to fill it with everything, or we can uh, you know, let God fill that space in silence so that we've, uh, we've gone from you know, looking at how the culture doesn't believe in God anymore to looking at you know, the resolution of that is quieting down and giving God the space to fill that silence. And then here we are, God then gives us the gift of patience so that we can look at others and, you know, as I was sharing with the, with the group today, was that ultimately we, you know, we want to be able to see ourselves and see others as God sees us. And that's where that patience comes from. And how, again, St. Catherine of Siena says, you'll, you'll look at someone who's you know, so different than you and be like, God loves that person and wants them in heaven. And then you'll even look at a sinner as like, that could be me, but God's protecting me from that sin right now and so that that patience all comes from a place of wanting to look and act and love more like god i remember reading saint thomas aquinas on his teaching on patience and he talked about how patience is what helps us to bear suffering well making us resilient essentially to handle various trials and sorrows and to not abandon virtuous behavior but essentially, at the end of the day, to embrace the cross. Yeah, and the phrase going around now is "God is in control." And we kind of laugh about that in, in funny situations, but you know that's that's a reality that patience points us toward: is that God is in control. You know, some some of these things He wants to happen, some of these things things He allows to happen, always for our holiness and the glory of His name. That's Father Tim Grumbuck, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles. We'll be back more this week broadcasting from this great program here in Southern California with all these youth, hundreds of youth, choosing their faith, choosing the path of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for them.